You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Guys, April 25th, Saturday morning, we're regular Saturday podcasters now. Mark, start us off. My only regret this morning, Howard, is that we are podcasters and not videocasters because our listeners or viewers would see Jim with a tall glass there of what what looks like Clorox and chocolate milk, Jim. Is that a no, recipe? No, no, Mark. Did that come right from the White House talking <laughs> I, points? Are you curing your COVID? I had a Clorox happy hour last Jim, night. We, you, just put, we just put it right in shot glasses. You are looking very clean this morning, Jim, I must say. Jim, 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 Jim WTF. That's what I said. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. What is, and I, you know, he comes back yesterday and says, well, it was sarcasm. Which and, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he, that's, he does things to get a rise out of folks, but Jim, you know, we, you I, know, I, I, no, I, what am I, what is, I'm just going to take my lumps. Go ahead. Just, just, just give it to me. Just because give it to me. you're our friend and our colleague, we're not going to make you admit that he was lying through his Lysol teeth when he said it was sarcasm. And there comes a point, there comes a point where he's got to just sit down and shut up for the safety of the country. That's not a policy decision. That's not, do we reopen sooner or later? That's not as testing the responsibility of the federal government or the states. That's just lunatic and dangerous. Well, your, let, let, your turn. My turn. <laughs> Look, irresponsible commentary. Sure, right. We, we you know, what, what, are we, what am I supposed to say? He should not go up and say things like that because, uh, for a lot of reasons. One is you know, protecting the American public. But two is, you know, the, just the, you know, these two hour briefings, I think that is what needs to end here. I, I, I'm all for the 25 minute briefing if he, if they feel that's necessary to do daily, but the riffs for two hours, I think this is, this is going to help bring those to an end. I think that's a good thing. Amen. It's uh, you know, it's a strange time when you read articles from reputable news sources online that say even the makers of Clorox and Lysol pleaded with Americans not to inject or ingest their products. Right. Unbelievable. Right. He needs to get off the stage. Which yeah. We should, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we can, he, I think, look, I think the president needs to be talking with the American public. I don't, he doesn't need to do a two hour riff every day. And I imagine folks inside the white house are thinking the same thing. Um, you know, what you're starting to see now, though, is, you know, as we're kind of getting into this political season and starting to see some measure of coming out of COVID, the campaigns are starting to heat up. And I think you're seeing more and more out of the out of the, you know, the media side of the campaigns. And I think it's going to be really interesting, Mark, to see how Democrats and Republicans are campaigning in this season, social media, television, all the ways to try to get their messages out. You're seeing the Trump campaign coming after Biden really hard, trying to define him at this moment. Mark, what did I, Mark, the Trump yeah. campaign is coming really hard after Biden about his alleged, unproven, unsubstantiated 
financial ties to China, which the Trump campaign knows a lot about because of Trump's proven substantiated financial ties to China. And we're just going to see one more time if the American people have any limit to the hypocrisy that they're willing to take from this man. It is the height of hypocrisy. The height of lunacy was drinking Lysol. The height of hypocrisy is tying Biden to China when the front page of every newspaper reported in 2016, this is not breaking news, about all of Trump's ties to China, meaning he owes them money. Right. But Mark, we can't we can't you can't dispute the fact no president in history has taken on China like Trump has. So, you know, that message, Mark, there is the beginning of this crisis. Well, I don't dispute. No one has taken on uh, taken on China and trade and the unfair ways that they're treating Americans like Trump has. You're going to lose on that argument every day. Biden's going to be on defense on this China issue. This isn't even, guys, this isn't even an issue. Like, I don't know about that. The Howard. American public right now, I, I, I just want to know how to get I, out of this. I dispute the premise that we're coming out of COVID. Yes, right. Jim, right. Uh, states are reopening to some degree. What does that even mean? Like, and as soon as people realize that this is not about, you know, the whole shutting down thing was not about it was about flattening the curve it sure. wasn't about eliminating covid covid isn't going away no, covid isn't going away and that's not what i meant to that was not what i was i was alluding to but you are seeing people in california kind of revolting and say look it's 80 degrees out we're going to the beach we don't care yeah, what but, we don't care what the restrictions are so how yeah. we we have discussions all day every day i know you're you're part of different discussions jim where clients of ours are talking about whether to cancel leases because they don't think they're going to need the office space for a year. That ain't coming out of COVID. Yeah, the only thing, the only thing that by all accounts that gets us out of COVID, like truly gets us past this, is an incredibly significant level of testing and like millions of people a day and and dramatic surveillance i was reading an article this morning about uh using about the apple google collaboration to develop apps to to track and trace and the need for three hundred thousand public health tracers um out there and just tracers meaning howard people People, people. three hundred. So, what are what are the people. Rand Pauls of the world gonna do with that? And and I mean, what are the ACLU's of the world gonna do right. with that? You're gonna see yeah. Rand Paul and the ACLU all over that, and you know, strange Maybe. bedfellows, right? And you know, you're gonna have a very concert, the very conservative community, especially folks that don't that are dead set against any government intrusion, along with the ACLU arm in arm fighting these things in court. And it's going to, I think it's going to be a real interesting battle to watch, you know, over, over the freedoms that we hold in this country. And by the way, the, these apps have been rolled out already in some countries like Singapore and South Korea, and they're not being even in places like that, that are more cohesive and, and homogeneous societies. They're not being, um, 
they're not being downloaded in the numbers that they need to be in order to be effective. People aren't embracing the system. Well, we'll see. The, this, just stepping back from the partisan politics of testing, which we can return to a minute because that was part of what, on, what went on with the negotiation of the package that just passed uh, yesterday. But stepping back uh, and, and taking a look at what it means for the people's relationship with government uh, to be determined. I, I've said it on this podcast before, I'll say it again. I am amazed and impressed and certainly pleased with how compliant the population has been with these shutdown orders. I didn't think you could shut down the United States of America even to this degree. And that's a testimony to the seriousness of this public health crisis. And, and we will see if that compliance continues. It's gonna fundamentally change the relationship of the people to the government, whether it's local, state, or, or federal government, because we are literally gonna need government to allow us to leave our homes. That, yeah. that we've, we haven't experienced that since the uh, late 18th century in this country. And, you know, we sit here in a, in a densely populated area and other parts of the country don't. They're not suffering like folks are in, in the Northeast and New York, places like New York and Philadelphia and North Jersey. You know, it's going to be a real change in dynamics. You know, this, the, the thought of someone in South Dakota having the same conversation, they're just kind of shaking their heads. Right. Well, because, un unless they work in a meatpacking plant, Jim. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But I think that this is this, really this going to, is you know, and I, and I think it's really the governors are going to have a really tough time in states like Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Right. I'm I'm sitting here at Cape May, New Jersey. They've had one case, you know, the entire time in Cape May City, New Jersey. North Jersey is inundated. How are they going to handle reopening the New Jersey beaches this summer? You know, where. You know, you're going to lose businesses if they don't if they don't open up mom and pop businesses that have been here for years. And how do you open up a state? Do you leave it up to the municipalities? Do you leave it up to the counties to try and make those judgment calls? You know, we saw Governor Wolf come out this week with the green, red, yellow light system, um, you know, and we're red in southeastern Pennsylvania and up in the Poconos. They're starting to reopen a little faster. You know, how do, how do governors take on this issue? That is not a federal government issue, state government issue. It's but, going to be but, fascinating to watch. But people, I think people are going to come to remember what we're trying to accomplish here. And what we're trying to accomplish with the shutdowns is not the elimination of the disease. I mean, the, the virus. I, I, eventually, you know, we need to get it under control in order to do that. But this was fundamentally about um, lowering the level of cases so the hospital system could manage through the, the flood of patients and, and getting people care. And reopening doesn't mean that this thing stops. It doesn't mean that people stop dying. And I think that well, that's no, going to have dramatic implications, much more than the argument about China. No, quite um, the contrary. It yeah. means that people start dying again. Right. Is what it means. And there is a brutal conversation. We've alluded to it before in these podcasts. There's a brutal conversation 
that the country is going to have to have about the trade-offs, the trade-offs between freedom and prosperity on the one hand, and literally deaths on the other hand. And it's a conversation that the country has had for 300 years. It's a conversation that underlies our traffic safety laws. It underlies our food safety laws. It underlies the FDA's existence. And and now we're going to have to find a way to have it about this too, because, and I'm no Dr. Fauci, I'm no public health expert. I don't pretend to be unlike just a partisan shot, Jim, unlike the uh, disinfectant in chief down there. But, <laughs> but you know, it, that's where we are headed because until we have a vaccine and or herd immunity, it's a trade-off between freedom, prosperity on the one hand, and lives and deaths on the other. Yeah, and I think that come November to to get make it political again, I I, I think the only thing that's going to matter is where we are in in this whole thing in the both health care and the economy, not Agreed. just the economy. Right, right. I said health care yeah. and the yep, economy. Yep. I think yep. principally health. Yeah. Where are we from a health point of view? This is a public uh, health. Howard, crisis. I also I disagree with you there. I think I think you're going to see more and more of folks who are going to be storming the capitals, if you will, and they're they're going to want to get back to work. And you're going to see more and more kind of that workers' rights issue, right? You got you know you, you're you, the six hundred dollars a week on unemployment only goes so far. And then folks are going to want to get back to work and will be willing to take certain calculated risks to get back to work and get back to making a livelihood again. You yeah, know, we, I, we sit here, you, me and Mark, we can represent our clients very well from all over the country and representing them before government officials in Washington and states because we can adapt. The folks working in factories can't adapt. No, you're putting your finger, Jim, on on another very profound theme that's emerging from this, which which is that the crisis is drawing fault lines in the population between have and have not, rich and poor, professional, white collar, blue collar. You're you're not going to see white collar workers heading back to the office anytime soon because we've proven that we don't need to. Mark Zuckerberg's already announced that Facebook's going to be the last company in America to go back to the office because they've proven they can run one of the biggest companies in the world remotely. So that is that's going to favor of, Trump, Mark. That isn't true of the, the Smithfield meatpacking plant. Yeah, and, and that's where the economy and public health collide, right there in that plant. Well, but that favors Trump. Because I believe because um, uh, those are people on, that voted for Trump and depends how many are dying. So, I'm sorry to put it in that calculus, but we, but Mark, we'll I mean the the establishment candidate is Joe Biden. He is the establishment. He is the you know the inside the Beltway, inside no. Broadway candidate. He is he's no you've got two status quo candidates in in this race there is no change candidate in in this race 
Trump owns this crisis. We've said it. Yeah, but Mark, but Mark the people that he grabbed, the people that he grabbed the last time, oh, they'll because vote he was, for him. they're going to vote for him. And a lot of them are Democrat. There are a lot of Democratic votes there, right? Especially from the blue collar yeah, areas. Yeah. We've talked about that a thousand times. I, I just, you know, how does Biden get those back? I think is what Howard's point is. It's really hard. It's going to be really hard for Biden well, to win those votes back. Again, I mean, what I most, importantly want to say about the presidential election is that it's still more than six months away. Absolutely. And this whole discussion is in this world in which we find ourselves, it, it is a, a fun but premature conversation. Yeah, I mean, there the, some of the Democrats, because Mark, now are, us, go ahead. Are, are staking their flag in the ground looking at the polling numbers this week. Nah. I mean, I'm sure you're looking at that and saying, huh, we were talking about that same that same issue leading up to November, the 14, 14 point lead that Hillary Clinton had in Pennsylvania, it's, right? Trump was at 38. Deja vu all over again. We we did this once before, Jim. Yogi Berra. And yeah. And it ended ended better for you than it did for me the last time we did this. So, Mark, talk <laughs> a little bit about the hospital crisis yeah. what you're seeing you sit on the board of a major hospital in philadelphia um tell us what you're what you're seeing what the conversation is and yeah. how you think that plays itself out hospitals are losing tons of money for one thing and so it, it's a very good uh, petri dish if you will for analyzing the uh economics versus the public health. And set New York aside, the New York was tragically first and deepest and something something caused New York to experience numbers that thank goodness nobody else in the country has yet at least experienced. So here in Philadelphia, the the curve got flattened. The curve saw a, a little bump, not even a, a hump, and certainly not a surge or a spike. And um, I'm knocking on real wood here. It looks like we are lucky and we are going to get through this phase of the crisis without the system being overrun. There are deaths. It It, it is tragic. The Jefferson system, just to give you some numbers. We have 13 hospitals and all sorts of ancillary uh, enterprises. But the Jefferson system has seen 3,000 patients uh, as of yesterday. 685 are still in, has admitted, I should say, 3,000 patients has seen many more than that. But you had 3,000 admissions, 685 currently in the hospital, 258 deaths, which is a a high mortality rate for the inpatient population. And, and there are two things about that number. It cuts both ways. On the one hand, in an ordinary March, April, even with the flu, this is not the flu, you would see 20 or 30 deaths. So the death rate is 10 times the average but it's 258, not 2,500, not 25,000, thank God. It's not, it's not what New York has seen. On the other hand, Howard, Jefferson, Penn, Temple, all of the hospitals in our region are economically crushed by this. Yeah. They have seen their revenue cut in half. 
And notwithstanding significant federal assistance that Jim has been instrumental in in helping uh, some of our clients get, uh, they're they are just bleeding, literally bleeding red ink, with no prospect of filling in that hole. So it it's a tale of of two realities: a a better public health outcome than we had feared. And just economic, economic destruction. So what, you know, guys coming out of this, the level of debt that we are taking on is enormous, if not catastrophic. What, what do you guys think about the way that, um, whether it's hospitals or, or, you know, economic support, we just, we're going to keep borrowing money to finance our way through this economic crisis. This eventually, eventually enough is going to be enough and we're not going to be able to borrow anymore. And I think, you know, that's why I think it's so incumbent for them to do this, this next round sooner rather than later. We just talked about that at the, at our chamber of commerce presentation for the Philadelphia chamber of commerce this week. So important that they get this done now because the, demagoguing, the oversight hearings, the partisanship, Washington's going to get back to being Washington again in the fall. And I'll tell you, all the folks accepting this money now better get ready because they're going to be called before Congress to talk about it. And Congress is going to, there's going to be a, a, a very different tone from just trying to get everybody back to work and help the industries than how just spend the money. And your feet are going to be held to the fire. If I'm a CEO and I took a lot of money from the federal government, get ready because it's coming. And I think that that if if they wait to do something later on in terms of dollars, the public opinion on this is going to flip on a dime, turn on a dime. And I think that's why it's so important right now to get the money out. Well, May Jim, let's, let's just talk for one minute about the calendar, and then I want to ask Howard a question, please. But uh, May, June, half of July, you're looking at 10 weeks to do whatever is going to be done, because come the middle of July, Congress goes home. They come back if they come back in September, and it's a sprint to the election. And then it's 2021. So it's May, June, half of July for COVID-4, however we're counting, or it's April 2021, to your point. And Howard, I help us understand uh, there has to be a limit to how much we can, as a country, borrow to address this crisis. But where where does that line get drawn? Is it political with Congress? Is it financial with the Fed? Who 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 decides we've hit the ceiling and we were out of money? Fundamentally, the bond market, and and but it. I mean, of course, there's there's politics in there. And by the way, repercussions, real financial repercussions. We have to service the debt we're accumulating. That. The crisis is costing the economy $400 billion a month, according to some estimates that, that I've seen. So it does make some sense to be uh, borrowing at very, very, very low interest rates to finance the recovery and to, and to stimulate the economy. Um, but it's going to be very challenging. And I think there's, there's both a political and a financial reckoning 
coming. Well, we and, are and- seeing, as Jim said, clients um, starting to get oversight inquiries from from Capitol Hill. Um, you know, a bit of a, a growing backlash. We've we've uh, certainly been hearing from folks like Steny Hoyer said something this week about the House the House Majority Leader about um, oversight ramping up. So, yeah, the politics will will follow. I think Congress will continue to find its way to a place where it will act. This week's big issue is the was is the municipal debt crisis. Um, states and municipalities are losing tons and tons of tax revenue and their costs are going up and up because they have to spend money to deal with the crisis. And um, the administration and the Democrats have been pushing for for more. McConnell said on the floor that he doesn't support any more money. He doesn't support bailing out states and he'd rather see them declare bankruptcy. So there's a growing clash on that issue. I think, as I think you guys do, that they'll continue to find their way to some point of compromise because the economy is just going to dictate that. But it's going Jim, to be what? it's going to be messy. Yeah, Jim, I'm, I'm interested in the Republican view. You've been very close to a state budget as Corbett's counsel. Uh, Pennsylvania is looking at two, three, four billion dollar deficit in in the next budget. McConnell says, let them meet cake, let them go bankrupt. That that would surprise me if that if that's what we saw coming out of Congress. What never do you, heard what do you Mitch know? McConnell compared to Marie Antoinette. But, <laughs> no, okay. I, I it's, you know, it's I, a slur on Marie Antoinette. I apologize to the Antoinette family. <laughs> that's some posturing. Look, McConnell knows his caucus and knows how to work his caucus and knows how to get things through his caucus. And I think that's him posturing, posturing a whole lot. You know, there's, it's just, it's unfathomable that you would see that that anyone would want to see chapter nines for municipalities and state governments across this country. It's just not, it's not possible. It's not feasible. It doesn't make any sense. You know, we're going to tie up our court systems you know, they're already going to be CARES Act, of course. The SBA money was forgivable. You have to meet the the criteria. In the CARES Act, the hospital money, as you and I are well aware, was not is not forgivable. It's repayable. And the same with the Main Street lending. What, what do you think with the state and local money? Is that going to be a grant? Is that going to be a loan? I, I think it's going to have to be a grant program, Mark, with some controls on it. And look, the go- both private businesses and government are going to see this next phase. We talked about oversight, but all of these programs are going to have auditors that are going to come in and look at this money. And that's going to be a huge cost driver for the state going to be a huge cost driver for private businesses. And then eventually those things make their way to the attorney office of inspector general, not attorney of inspector generals, uh, if if there are issues. But I believe that as it relates to the states, it's grant programs. It has to be grant programs um, because, look, the state budgets year in and year out are what they are. And you still those the services don't disappear and the revenues certainly aren't going to come in you know, this year and perhaps a lot of next year like they have in the past. And Pennsylvania didn't have a very good 
you know, revenue outlook to begin with, even prior to COVID. So I think it's grant programs. I don't, I don't, I'd say it's forgivable. Right now, there's, right now there are both grant and loan elements of municipal support, but I agree with Jim that they're, they're going to have to give money to the states. Howard, let me ask you this. Um, is anything else going on? Is anything else going to happen? Is this all COVID all the time? This past week, uh, you and Jim were hired, I know, on a trade matter. You and I, Howard, were hired on an agriculture matter. It, 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 is it possible to do any other business in Washington these days, or if it isn't COVID related, is it just not going to break through the noise? Well, no, it, it is possible. And we are talking about lots of different things. And, and some of it is business as usual. It helps to tie anything you're doing in some way to the, to the crisis because it, it's easier to get people to, to pay attention. But yeah, I mean, people have jobs to do and and they're doing them. It it depends, I think Jim Mark, what we're what agency you're talking about. If you're talking about talking to to CMS, for example, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I talked to one of their senior people this week and it that wasn't a COVID related conversation. Um it is very hard to get their attention these days because the whole agency has its resources pointed at the crisis because it obviously has huge implications for uh, both Medicare and Medicaid, but especially Medicare. But if you can tie, you, you need to explain why you're talking to people now. And at a place like that, it's harder to explain than it is at the Department of Energy, let's say. There are people at the Department of Energy that are that are going on and doing their jobs. If you're talking to Capitol Hill, depends whether you're talking to the health staffer, the financial services staffer, or the energy staffer, let's say. It just it just depends who you're talking to, but it it inevitably helps to tie it to the crisis, Mark. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that you know, I have a number of issues that are just chugging along before the EPA and and the Department of Education and Veterans Administration. And, you know, th they are moving along at the same pace that they would have moved along otherwise. So, you know, while there was this somewhat of a pause because everybody had to figure out how everyone was trying to figure out how they could work from home and, and do what they needed to do from home, I think now you're going to see more and more business as usual in Washington especially in agencies that aren't tied into healthcare or the, or the financial crisis. As I've been saying, it's, it's been remarkable how accessible people are in government because every, everybody's home, everybody's stuck and, and on the client side as well. And I think I, I talked this week to a couple of clients that are located overseas and for them to come to Washington you know, in, in normal times to have meetings, you know, a half a day of meetings or a day, a couple of days of meetings, they've got to basically take a week out of their schedule to fly to the U.S. to recover from their jet lag, you know, have lunches and dinners, go do their meetings. Now you can zoom in and get a ton done from London or wherever you are. And, and so 
it's just a really interesting time to be doing what we're doing because the the method of talking to people is is just different and that creates some challenges but it creates what i've been telling our overseas clients is it create it creates a tremendous opportunity that you wouldn't ordinarily have to zoom or call in and and have a conversation and it's it's incredibly productive and and um and a good thing for i mean obviously nobody everybody wishes this weren't happening but it presents some unique opportunities to make lemonade out of lemons. And I think you're going to see how Howard Mark shift where you have folks trying to promote whatever their agenda is kind of while the bright and shiny thing is still over here. Right. You know, we want to, you know, AOC pushing green new deal, you know, pick, pick your, pick your issue right of the day. And that made that a little partisan Mark, but the Republicans have their issues as well. And I think you're going to see, Folks taking advantage of, from a policy perspective, taking advantage of the bright, shiny thing still being over here and trying to push through whatever pet project they have, you know, in Washington. And same thing with the agencies. They may want to advance and advance an issue that they haven't been able to advance. And while nobody's looking, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, there's an issue that's impacting businesses from one of the agencies who aren't impacted by COVID. I mean, Jim, so, you, you and I have seen that. Yeah, you and absolutely. I, have, you and I have seen agencies in the environmental space moving things forward and um, not spending a lot of time being concerned about the fact that you know businesses are shut down and and kind of taking no pity. Right, right. Yeah, you know, Jim mentioned something, Howard, that uh, maybe we flag for another podcast because I know we're close to the end here, but. Department of Education, uh, Jim, you mentioned you're, you're working there, uh, as are others of us. Wow, higher ed is a subject for a podcast uh, or for part of one. And what what has happened already is is scary, and what comes next is so uncertain. And that's just one more sector where money is going to be needed, where some they're going to be winners and losers. Some people are going to make it and some people aren't. And it is going to be another fundamental change in the way business gets done. The business of higher ed, I think, is like so many other sectors, as we are seeing, if you were in pretty good shape, going into this thing, you're going to come out the other side somehow. If you were struggling on the way in, who knows? Small schools are going to be in a lot with, with small schools that don't have large endowments are going to be the worst hit in this. And, you know, you're, and you're going to see the big schools. They're going to be taking on these class actions. The class yeah. actions for tuition refunds, and the, they're going to get Howard really a plaintiff. Not yet, Mark. Not yet. But but I, I think that, that, that there's a big dark cloud heading for a higher education right now. But I'll be damned if I'm going to pay thirty five thousand dollars for a semester of distance learning. No, that's right. If the if the University of Michigan is the same thing as the University of Phoenix, then you know should you be paying University of Michigan prices? Go blue, by the way. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that may be the one exception for Howard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would pay that, Jim. Yeah. Uh, Tulane may not make the cut. No. Mich Michigan. No, right. Come on, it's Michigan. That's right. Um, all right, let's leave it here. Guys, 
fun as always. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Aaron. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.